Hi, my name is Iruna Rydlam. I'm from Norway and motorcycles and solo adventure are my passions. You can find me under the name Off She Goes on both YouTube and Instagram. Hi, I'm Simon Josie and welcome back to the podcast. So, as you heard in the introduction, my guest today is Runa Gridland, known for her Off She Goes YouTube channel and Instagram account of the same name. If you've seen Runa's Off She Goes videos, you'll be familiar with her laid-back and chill approach to taking us along as she explores solo on her adventure bike. Yes, that's right, yet another Norwegian filmmaking motorcyclist. I guess I'm going to be accused of some sort of Norwegian bias soon. Before we get to my chat with Runa, note that I had to throw some audio cleanup software at Runa's recording as there was some pesky electronic noise on the beginning of it. Fortunately, it only impacts the first nine or so minutes of the interview, so please persist with the episode as Runa provides some really interesting insights into being a YouTube creator. As always, if you have the time and inclination, please consider rating or liking the podcast in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. This will help other listeners find the podcast. As I've noted previously, I've established a presence for the podcast on Instagram under the handle real.riders, on Blue Sky under the handle Real Riders Podcast, and also as at Real Riders on the platform formerly known as Twitter, but now rebranded X. I'll be posting whenever new episodes of the podcast drop, so please do repost, reskeet, and retweet to help get the word out there about the podcast. Righto then, please now enjoy my discussion with Runa. Hi Runa, welcome and thanks for joining me for this episode of Real Riders. How are you doing? Hi Simon, and thank you so much for having me. I'm doing pretty good this day. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. So you're known for Off She Goes on both YouTube and, and your Instagram account. I understand you've been motorcycling for about three years. Can you tell me how you got started in motorcycling and why you came to motorcycling relatively late? So this is a little bit of a longer story, I guess. First off, both my parents actually used to ride uh, motorcycles when they were younger. My dad still rides. He's one of the, the 60 plus men on the GS Adventure <laughs> motorcycle. And I've always thought that at some point in life, this is something I would like to do as well. But time and money just never really uh, was enough to, to make it happen. Up until recently, up until 2020, I um, competed internationally uh, in archery. So I was on the national team for archery for like 11 years and was pretty... Um, serious about that so there was really no time to do this but when the pandemic hit in 2020 all of a sudden all competitions and everything trainings trainings whatever were cancelled and I worked as a nurse at the time so I had a lot of time I worked a lot so all of a sudden I had both time and money so that summer I decided you know I'll just go for it uh, and see where it goes um, I didn't really know you know how big of a deal it was gonna it was gonna be but uh, as soon as I got my license, because I mainly took my license because I think motorcycling seems like a cool way to travel, not because of the speed or, or the, the thrill of the, of the riding fast or whatever. So uh, the week after I got my license in the summer of 2020, I packed up my Suzuki VS750 
1986 model with my camping gear and whatever and and went off for like about a week just to see if there's something something i would like and uh, three years later here we are so you learned you were licensed in, in norway and I've heard that it's quite expensive and takes quite a long time in, in Norway to get your license. Is that correct? It is quite the process. There's a lot of mandatory classes, both theory and uh, um, yeah, classes you need to go through in house. And it is quite expensive. I think I spent uh, like the minimum amount you can spend is about 2,000 euros to get the license. And then you have to have like a food helmet, gear, all that kind of stuff. Um, so you, you're easily looking at like three, four thousand euros just to get started. And then you need a bike as well. So it kind of adds up. And, and are there any restrictions on the kind or the size of bike that you can have for a certain period of time or anything like that? Yes, there are. I think these are like the common European rules where uh, there are different classes and you have to be a certain age or have a certain type of license for a specific amount of time before you can buy the, like a, the bigger bigger CC engines. Right. So um, what, what's actually your, your history with motorbikes? What bike did you start with? What, what other bikes have you had? And, and what are you riding now? So my first bike, like I said, was the Suzuki Intruder, 1986 model, a veteran. They're pretty cheap to have. They're cheap to buy. Um, so I figured that was a good way to start. And also I, I've seen, you know, with my parents' albums, they were riding this kind of bikes. And wow, that looks really cool. But after a while, I realized uh, they're not the most practical bikes to travel on. Uh, I run out of gas a few times because there's no, you can't see how much gas is left um, and, and that kind of stuff. And just about reliability in general. So I pretty soon started, you know, doing my research uh, on YouTube, of course, uh, to see what, what options were. And I discovered the, the adventure bikes. And I just a couple months later, I bought a secondhand KDM 790 Adventure. I had that for about a year. Did my first like really long trip on that one. Um, and then randomly I went to a motorcycle gathering where dealers can come and show off the bike and you can try all kinds of different bikes. And I tried a Tenere and I was like, now I need this one because I just like this riding experience so much. So uh, that fall, the year after, I got the Tenere 700. I rode that for about a year, uh, and then this spring I teamed up with Husqvarna Motorcycles Scandinavia. So I've been their ambassador this year, riding the Northern 91. Yeah, um, so so this is this is interesting to me. You know, I I noticed that that you changed to the Northern, and in May of 2023, so this earlier this summer, you actually released a really interesting video outlining your first impressions about the Norden. And another thing about that video was that it was it was really interesting to me, very memorable, because you were extremely transparent about how you came to be in possession of that bike. And and I don't recall ever seeing in the sort of the, the motorcycling video genre on YouTube another video quite like that that was so honest about your relationship with, with um, Husqvarna and, and how you came to, to have that bike. Why did you want to make that video? Why was that so important to you? I think it's uh, for myself, starting to watch similar videos uh, from other content creators, I was left with so many questions like, how do you make this happen? How does this work? What, what is the deal? Like, 
how do you get to that point? Uh, and I feel like people really kind of gatekeep that information, uh, not wanting to get too personal probably about economy and contracts and whatever. Um, so for me, it's been, I, I would like to be more transparent about this kind of stuff. Uh, just because it was information that I was kind of seeking out, starting out, and I couldn't find it anywhere because no one was talking about it. So, uh, yeah, it's just, for me, it's money is money. It's not, yeah, it's not too private for me. I think it's uh, it's going to mm. be a little bit transparent. And, I mean, I, I have to ask, and I am I know I'm in danger of becoming the Sweden-hating podcast, and, and, you know, if anyone who's heard the Thomas Hansen interview will know what I'm talking about, but... Um, are there any special clauses in your contract with Husqvarna uh, requiring you to say nice things about Sweden? You know, I realize it's it's perhaps not the most exciting place to go motorcycling, you know, but but are there things that you are required to say in each, you know, video that you put out that, that you know, say nice things about the, the flat and featureless uh, countryside of Sweden? <laughs> so I obviously can't... Uh discuss the details of the contract, but I can discuss what's not in there. And that's definitely not in there. Okay. Um, I think you've seen like some of my latest episodes writing in Sweden, probably. Um, and I, I think I'm, yeah, myself as well, trying to not piss off the Swedes with saying that, holy shit, this is boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, Perhaps to, to take the pressure off the Swedes, you, you, you could also perhaps say the same thing about Northern Finland. I mean, I've only been up to Tampere myself in, in Finland, but I, I was somewhat amused and, and uh, when, when you said in one of your recent videos that you hadn't been to Finland before. And it's like, oh, but you live just right next to Finland. And then, of course, you look at the countryside and <laughs> of Norway and, okay, there's lots of nice lakes and forests in Finland, but perhaps not much else. Uh, believe me, I love the Finns. Uh, you know, please, Finland, don't hate me because I've been to Finland a number of times. Um, I worked for a Finnish company for 20 years plus. I, I love Finland and I love the Finns. So there's no Finnish hate here. And, and uh, you know, so, but but yeah, th that was that was something that I, I did find a bit amusing. And and again, your honesty coming through in that in that video when you were saying, yeah, it's, it's getting a little bit boring, you know, today riding down this road. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, there's a lot of like wildlife and if you're into wildlife and hiking and hunting and fishing, that kind of stuff, I think it's a paradise. And also, if you just want to ride fast on gravel road, Sweden is a paradise because we barely have any roads in Norway. We are allowed to ride on gravel roads. So if you want to get loose and, and really have fun in gravel, Sweden is a paradise for that. Sure. Um, and what about the filmmaking? Uh, you know, when did you actually start making the videos? And, and had you done any of that before you got into motorcycling? I do not have any video experience from prior to motorcycling, um, just like anyone else. When I dived into the YouTube universe, uh, you know, looking at motorcycle videos, I discovered Itchy Boots, got to go on her bike, all these uh, female solo travelers. And I thought, holy crap, this is so cool. Um, I wonder if I could do something similar, uh, both to share the experience of what it's like to be a, a rookie on the road, but uh, also for myself to kind of capture the, the moments during my travels. So I actually, like I said, I got, the, got my license in 2020. The next year, I planned my first big trip. Uh, so I went uh, 28 days from to all kind of four corners of Norway. So uh, Lindesnes, which is the southern point, uh, West Cape, North Cape, and Vardø, which uh, is the most eastern point. 
And that was altogether just over 7,000 kilometers. And I really wanted to capture that trip uh, original, originally. And I started out uh, pretty good, like the first couple of days. Um, but this was also my first time riding with a lot of luggage, first time being on a long trip. So there was just so much like new stuff going on. And eventually that trying to wrap my head about the filming and how much time and effort that actually takes, it took out so much of the joy of, of the travel. So after about a week, I just packed down all my camera gear and sent it home and just thought, I'm just going to have to try to actually do this trip and see if I enjoy this before I can bring a camera on board and, and do that as well. It was just too much new stuff at the same time. So I came home uh, not knowing, you know, if I would like this or dislike this or if I wanted to do this ever again. But just like a month later, I, I packed up and went for another about a week uh, traveling just with the thought of I don't care where I go or, or how far I go. I'm just going to focus on you know, filming and, and getting into the habit of, of doing that and see if I like that. Uh, and that's the first series you can see on my YouTube channel, the, the August solo motorcycle trip in, in Norway. Obviously, you were learning how to film as you were as you were riding. When did you start doing the editing and, and the post-production? Were you doing that during that trip or did you do that after you came back? I've been doing that most of the time after the trip, uh, not wanting to bring a computer and, and kind of uh, take out the joy in the evenings of having to sit with all the files and editing and that kind of stuff. So, And since that was only a week as well, I didn't know how to edit. I didn't know the softwares. I didn't know anything. Uh, and then that time I thought, you know, filming is going to be the hard part, the most time consuming part until I started to learn about the editing process when I got back home. So I spent so much time that fall. Uh, I think I spent like almost six months just releasing like six or seven episodes, just learning how to edit and, and all that stuff. And it was very, very time consuming. Um, and this is something, I mean, I've dabbled in, in this area myself for many years. And, and the, the thing I noticed when I first started uh, editing video is that actually it, it really changes your video filming habits. Is that something that you found like after you had edited that first series, then when you went out on the next trip, did you suddenly know, oh, I know the kind of shots I'm going to need? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So there's so many times where I've, I've gotten back home and I'm just so mad at myself for not capturing more of specific moments or specific scenery or putting the drone more in the air or having more B-roll. Um, sitting there just with a lot of GoPro footage, which is not super interesting to look at most of the time. Um, so it's definitely been a process of learning what kind of shots I want uh, and now, when I start a day, I kind of, you know, I know I want the introduction to the day. I know I want the middle part, know what's going on, and I want to summarize the day. Um, so now I can more kind of, as the day goes by, I kind of summarize in my head what the video is going to look like, sort of. So it's, it's definitely been a learning curve. One of the things it's, you say you're passionate about is is solo adventuring. And I'd, I'd like to explore that a little bit more. What do you find so appealing about traveling solo? So ever since I was a little girl, um, I've always appreciated spending time on my own. Um, I don't really appreciate being in, in bigger 
crowds with a lot of people. Um, I don't have social anxiety or anything like that. I just appreciate the time spent alone. Going into traveling, especially as a rookie, like a beginner uh, motorcycle traveler, I found it very nice to ride alone in the beginning uh, because I wanted to ride in whatever pace I wanted, do how many stops I wanted, do however, ride how far I wanted that day and just really make it make it about figuring out what kind of riding I really want to do and not having to push my limits or miss out of a lot, a lot of the experience just because I'm following someone else doing what they want. And I ended up really liking that as well. So now it's just also I think it's very hard to find someone to travel with that you don't have to make too many compromises with when you travel. So I I want my trip how I want my trip uh, and I know that with all the stops I make for filming and recording, that kind of stuff, it takes up so much time that having someone on board, I think they could easily get bored with all the stops and everything that comes into recording videos. Yeah, I've done quite a lot of scuba diving and I see this massive parallel between scuba diving and motorcycling, which is that the more diving I do, the more I want to only dive with the people that I like diving with. and. I sort of feel the same way about motorcycling. And I think the added extra with motorcycling and and making films about motorcycling is, yeah, you you have to stop so often, right? And Mm -hmm. and maybe that can be a real drag on on the people you're traveling with if they're not as enthusiastic about doing what you're trying to do, which is put together your B-roll and really put together a story, which is, you know, takes a lot of time and and different camera angles, et cetera, et cetera. And just also the getting used to filming in front of people like you know having your camera on a selfie stick in front of people talking to you know no one that also takes getting used to and and being comfortable in front of the camera in front of other people because people will look and and you know wonder who are you and what are you doing yeah okay so um tell me a little bit about your current audio video capture setup so what cameras are you using and, and how do you mount them I know you've tried various solutions for for capturing sound and and sometimes that's been a challenge for you but I understand if if I if I've been a close and observant um follower of of your videos it looks like you've changed your cameras as well since when you first started so so what are the reasons for that Yeah I've changed a lot of my gear um this year actually I started out with the GoPro 7 Black just because it was a cheaper option, but still recording pretty decent um, video quality. I had a couple episodes where the GoPro would just freeze. And I know this is a common problem where you actually have to like take out the battery and reset the whole camera before you can start recording again. And I missed out on quite a few good shots because of that and that was so annoying also the battery life was pretty pretty low like 20 30 minutes um so i had to to change the battery so many times during the day so i did some research and and decided i wanted to do uh, use the dji osmo action 3 which I'm, i'm currently using the reason i'm using that instead of the the other gopro is because just because the insecurity of not knowing if it's going to freeze up or not. I know the newer GoPros don't really have that problem as much, but it's just an insecurity that's embedded in my brain right now. So I figured uh, I'll just change brand and use a DJI. Uh, the problem that occurred with that one was uh, audio. 
recording the microphone in my helmet because I do have a, a helmet microphone recording, uh, talking as I, as I ride. In my GoPro, I just used a Rode microphone uh, with a USB. You had you had need the, the adapter for the GoPros as well. And then you just plug the Rode microphone right in and it recorded pretty okay sound. With the DJI, as soon as you plug in a microphone, it distorts the sound so badly. So it, it just sounds like you're shouting into the microphone and it's just so not nice at all. And it turned out to be a little bit of a of a process finding something that would to work around that. So I bought the DJI mic that I'm using currently, which is a wireless microphone. The downside about that is number one, it's not a waterproof solution, obviously, uh, because you have to have the transmitter or the receiver plugged into the camera, and also the battery life. So constantly having to check if you know you're running out of battery or not. Uh, having to charge in the middle of the day and that kind of stuff. So I really wanted a not a wireless uh, a solution. So I ended up buying like the cheapest um, microphone I could find on, on pretty much eBay because they record audio pretty like on a low level. I don't know how you call that, but like when you record it, it sounds pretty low. Like there's not a lot of, it's not a, a high sound. And also a little uh, thing in between where you can decrease the gain even more. So when I transport my audio into my editing software, I can barely hear my audio at all. And I have to crank it up almost like 30 decibels to actually hear my voice. Uh, But at least the sound is not distorted um, and it uh, filters out a lot of the background noise and that kind of stuff. So it's pros and cons. And and what's currently missing from your audio visual gear kit is there is there something you'd like or something that you're planning to get in the in the near future not really so i do have two dji's uh one that i mount on my motorcycle filming towards me i have one on my helmet filming kind of uh in front of me and the view and with the talking i use my iphone 14 pro just for the uh, video off the bike or when i'm filming myself talking etc and then i have um, the DJI Mavic, uh, sorry, DJI Mini 3 Pro, the drone for aerial footage. So that's pretty much all the, all, the footage, all the camera gear that I have. If I'm not wrong, in the beginning, you were also using a DSLR, I think, for your B-roll, but it looks like you're no longer, you don't need that because your iPhone is good enough. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I, when I went to Iceland, I, I, before that trip, I bought a DSLR uh, wanting to try to learn how to use that for better footage, better pictures. Um, That takes a lot of time. Uh, And I quickly found out that just with the iPhone, with the normal settings there, I could take quicker and better footage than with my DSLR. But this fall, I actually purchased again um, uh, a new camera. It's a Canon R50. Uh, and I'm in the process of learning how to use that uh, better, both for pictures and, and footage, because I really want to, you know, I always want to involve and, and try to get better and, and capture better better photos and, and video. Um, one of the things that's very characteristic of, of your videos, I'm not sure it's every season, but I, I think it might be, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that you take 
uh, delight at the end of a riding day showing us, the viewers, where you've ridden on a physical map. So, I mean, the option, I guess, could have been to do it digitally, which is maybe not the easiest thing in the world, but but you seem to really enjoy doing it on the map. And has that been a deliberate sort of artistic decision right from the beginning? Or is it just a practical decision? Both, actually. Uh, so this, I, I call it just the Itchy Booth method, because you can see it in all of her videos, uh, how she shows on a map where, where she's went that day. And I always thought that was so interesting to see on a physical map, because you can kind of better see the distances and the road and where you are in the country. Um, and I just like that, the way she talked her way through where she's been that day and, and that kind of stuff. So I've kind of adopted that. Um, and also because creating digital map just takes even more time. I've not yet really figured out how to do that. Um, also on my to-do list on, on learning stuff. But uh, especially now for the last part of my trip through Scandinavia, because I purchased a map over Scandinavia that turned out to be the size of my tent. It is massive. And also when riding the Trans-Euro Trail, which is not really, you can't see the tracks. Most of the tracks you can't see on the actual map, physical map. Uh, so it was really hard to, you know, find the, the ways I've actually ridden that day. So now I'm just showcasing Google Maps and showing starting points, stopping points and whatever. Yeah, I go throughout the day. I'd like to ask a few more questions about the your, your pre-production shooting and post-production process. And this is the, the first question, and you sort of talked a little bit about it, but the first question I want to ask is, is do you plan each each video? Do you have a, a firm idea what you want to do, or do you just sort of head out there going, I'm just going to capture a lot and I'll figure out the story when I when I get back and, and, and cut it in, in post-production? What, what's, your, what's your approach? What do you find has been most successful? I've only tried uh, the second option because I am so bad at planning. Uh, as you can see in uh, most of my series, I, in general, do not really have a set plan on where I'm going or what I'm going to do. It's more like I'm going from this point to that point, uh, and then we'll just see what roads I take in between, basically. So that's the same story with, with filming each day. I don't really know where I'm going, don't really know what's going to happen most of the day. Uh, so it's just kind of, it's just whatever happened that day is part of the video. Um, but that's also something I'd like to ch try to change be a little bit more planned because uh, there's so many times where I miss out on things just because I haven't planned well enough, like attractions and, and spots and places, views, whatever that I miss out on because I, I wasn't aware that they were nearby. So uh, I'm going to try to find like somewhere in between because I don't want to have it completely set as well. Uh, I like being a little bit loose in my planning and, and doing whatever I want to do that day, uh, riding how far or short I want that day and whatever direction. So, uh, yeah, that's just part of figuring out as you go. You touched on this a little bit earlier as well, a, a plan for the day, or well, maybe plan's not the right word, but but like a, a formula for the day in terms of what you're capturing. So sort of a beginning to the day and then and there's a lot of pictures of you eating, which I think you're very brave to do because often it's like one of the golden rules on, on film. Don't, you know, I think actors say, please don't ever film me eating because it's so difficult. But you're, you're extremely brave. We're often seeing you having, having <laughs> something to eat and, and that's kind of nice. Um, but yeah, do you follow a set formula for, for shooting? Just that I want like introduction for the video, preferably just some shots of the, the campsite or the view around. 
that kind of stuff. Um, a little bit of, of talking in the beginning, telling, you know, what I think is going to happen that day. Then the day goes on, whatever happens, happens. And then at the end of the day, I try to recap it and, uh, you know, summarize the day. Uh, and if I know what's going to happen the next day, I might mention that. But that's, that's pretty much the only formula I have. And, and what strategies do you follow to try and avoid becoming stale and, and just shooting the same video every day? Is, is, or is, that, is that something that, that you think about? Or is, yeah, is that, is that, has, do you think that's been a problem or, or what? How, how do you deal with that? So while I'm traveling, I, I haven't given that very much thought um, because there's always so much happening anyway. You, doesn't, you don't feel like the day is boring. But when you get back home and start editing things, I often thought that I do the same thing every single day. Uh, you know, is this going to get boring? Will people like this? Because I like very chill rides. Uh, I like low pace, good view, coffee, uh, just having a good time. There's very little like extreme riding and exciting stuff going on uh, like you can see in many other um, travelers videos where they cross borders and there's you know they get stuck in whatever places you won't find that in most of my videos it's very low paced chill good views and, and good times um, so I have often thought you know is this going to get boring like the same thing every day um, but it seems like people enjoy it and I that's one of the things I, I regularly get comments on like I really like the chill pace uh, the, there's no screaming there's no blah 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 there's just a good time on the bike. I went back and, and looked over your videos on, on YouTube because I was I was interested in this one topic, which is the duration of each video. And I get the feeling that as time has gone on, the sort of the average length of the video has got a little bit longer. Um, certainly from the first series to like series one, I think everything was under under 10 minutes. And now we're up to series uh, or season five and things are sort of nearer the 20 minute mark. Um, has that been a conscious decision on your part? Is that something that the viewers have pushed you to do? Or is it just something that you feel you've got so much to show that, that each episode is, is, is just naturally going to be longer? What's your thinking behind that? That's not a conscious decision, really. Um, in the beginning, I actually got a few comments saying I, I really appreciate that the episodes are pretty short because then I can watch it while having my breakfast or lunch or whatever. Um, but I think in the beginning, I wasn't very conscious about what I was filming. There was very little uh, B-roll, uh, less talking. So now eventually, um, I guess I've gotten into the habit of just filming more of my day and, and telling more about what I, what I experience and just include that as well. So uh, there is a lot of the day that I usually don't include. I have quite a bit of footage always that I don't include because I think that it just gets too boring. Um, so I try to just include the like the bare minimum of what happened that day to give an impression of, of that day. You, you also just touched on this a little bit, but a massive part of your um, videos is talking while you ride which I think has been a characteristic right from, from the beginning. Um, why is that so important to you? Why have, you know, especially overcoming the, the challenges that you had with the audio equipment, you, you've really wanted to, to do the talking while you're writing. So, yeah, wh why, why has that been so important? 
I think people have a little bit of a love-hate relationship to that. Like either you like it or you really don't like it. For me, I think it just brings like a really uh, personal uh, aspect of the trip. Um, being able to tell exactly what's on my mind when things happen and where I go and what I see uh, and the little mishaps and, you know, whatever happens. Um, I just think it's nice nice to record. Um, it just brings a little bit more personal touch, I think. And apart from equipment issues, which you've had from time to time, as, as everyone does, um, have you had any dramas or when when capturing footage while you're writing, you know, I'm I'm thinking more of interactions with other people. Like, is has that has that caused, or have have you ex- had any experience with with people um, objecting to you filming either them in the background or anything like that? Have, have there been any issues like that? No, um, and that's the positive part, I guess, about traveling to places where there's not a lot of people. Uh, most of my videos, you can't see a whole bunch of people around me because I'm usually alone. Uh, so I'm rarely in the position where I film others uh, in my videos as well. The only like interaction I've had was not with the with the person. It was with the hawk that attacked my drone when I was in Iceland. That was uh, like the the one thing that I can that I can uh, think about that was a little bit uh, distressing. Hmm. And talking about drone footage, um, you've captured some really stunning footage in, in Norway and in Iceland. Um, but recently in one of your, your videos, you explained that actually capturing uh, drone footage in Sweden is a bit of a nightmare. Um, can, you, can you tell us about that? Yeah, it really is. So the, the drone laws in Sweden are pretty much the same as in any country in Europe regarding to where we can fly or far away from the, the air, um, airports you have to be. But publishing the footage online or sharing it on social media or sharing it just in general is a pain in the ass. So we, what you have to do is they have um, an organization or what you want to call it that goes through all your footage and says yes or no, you can or cannot publish this. So you have to go into map plot in every single place where we have recorded things, um, just like the area that the, the fo- footage is, is, is captured, uh, the dates, and send in all the footage to them. They will go through it and then come back and say yes or no. And they say it's going to take like a couple of weeks. It doesn't. It takes a lot more time. Uh, six weeks for me, I think it, uh, it took before I, I got it back saying, uh, yes, this is, this is all right. So it's, it's strange, really, because if you just... If you were just standing on a mountain filming, you know, a view over the forest, that wouldn't be a problem if you're just capturing with your phone. Or if you're on a, let's say, ladder or whatever, capturing footage from above. But just as soon as you, you fly the drone, the, the, the rules change. Hmm. Interesting. Do you have any idea why that is? Is it, is it for military secrecy or something like that? Yeah, they say it's to protect uh, national interests or what you can say, both military places or just in general locations that they want to, don't want to show most people, I guess. What are your go-to resources for the music that you use in your videos? I've used uh, Epidemic Sound since uh, the beginning. Yeah, good option. They have a great variety of, of music. And, and when you're doing your editing, 
what comes first, the music or the video? In other words, do you cut your video to a piece of music or do you first assemble your video sequence and then some, find some music to, that fits with that video? It's uh, both at the same time, usually. So I'll, I'll start with just assembling. Like I start with just putting the footage I want on a timeline without cutting it. And then I'll start at the beginning, going through it and seeing, hmm, I kind of want this music here. I'll find some music, put it on the timeline, and then cut the clips uh, on on that music. And then that's, yeah. So yeah, I pretty much do both mm. at the same time. Mm. And in terms of post-production, and if we think about the more recent, like the, the series um, or the season five uh, videos, how long are you spending in post-production doing the editing, getting the music, et cetera, to, for, for each episode? Oof. Um, obviously, this has gotten a lot quicker uh, as, as I've, I've learned more and kind of gotten into, I have like a process on the whole thing. Uh, but now approximately somewhere between eight to 10 hours, I'd say, editing one video. Right. And I guess with the heavy winter in, in Norway, it's perhaps quite a nice time to be catching up on all the, all the post-production work. Which part of the overall process, if we talk about pre-production, the planning or the lack of planning, um, the shooting and the post-production, do you most enjoy and which part is the least enjoyable? Of course, doing actual traveling uh, and, and recording the footage is, is my favorite. Um, my least favorite used to be subtitles for the videos because YouTube have a uh, like automatic capture uh, feature where they capture the subtitles automatically and they tend to be so messed up that the timing is wrong, the words are wrong, there's no punctuations or nothing. So I had to go through all of that and correct it, drag it to the correct positions. And that just took so much time. But recently I discovered that Riverside has a, um, a tool for this, like a transcription tool where you can just upload the audio file and it gives you a SRT file with the timing, uh, punctuations. They even have a lot of like the Norwegian city names and whatever correct. So that has saved me so much time. Yeah, this seems to have been a an AI success story. I know uh, there's a lot of debate and discussion about AI at the moment, but in the video and, and um, audio, particularly the podcasting area, AI seems to have been a success story, particularly around uh, transcription. So, so that's, yeah, that's interesting. What part of the overall production process do you struggle with the most or find the most challenging? Starting an episode and realizing that I'm just lacking footage. Uh, I'm not liking the footage that I've recorded. It just doesn't give the right vibe. Um, and trying to make that work. Like you just have some days that are off when you're traveling as well, like you do with any other day, where like I can just sense that my mood is off. Um, my recording isn't very good. I haven't made enough stops doing B-rolls. So I have just very little to work with and trying to make that into a decent video can be a, a real, real struggle. Mm. Um, yeah. I'd like to ask a little bit now about your experience with, with um, publishing on, on YouTube and, and Instagram. So if we, if we look at, at YouTube, it, as we record this, you've got over 75 videos on your channel. Based on the feedback that you get from viewers and, and the view counts, 
What have you discovered works and what doesn't work? Ooh, good question. I guess my kind of videos uh, draw a specific type of audience as well. Uh, just because there's, it's very chill. You don't have that like exciting, thrilling uh, drama stuff going on. So my average view, uh, viewer are usually a little bit older, uh, like adults. And that's a tough question. I mean, have you noticed sometimes you, you see the, the view counts for certain videos and go, oh, I really, I thought this was a great video and yet maybe the, the view count is down a bit. On another one, you think, oh, this one was maybe not my best work and, and the view, view count's gone crazy and I, I just can't predict what's going to be popular and what's not. I mean, what, what's your experience with that? Yeah, I can relate to that very much. Like I, I can have a video where I think, oh, this is so cool. For example, uh, the Norden tour that I did in, in Sweden where I went to uh, Udebro, Huskvarna in, in Udebro in Sweden and, and did a, a two-day off-road tour that was just into the forest falling over a lot bathing in mud and just yeah it was so much fun um and i think that episode turned out pretty good uh, just very different from what I, what I normally do you know interacting with people and being in a group but that didn't really do so well um i got a lot of good feedback on it from my like regular viewers but it didn't do better than any other video I, i've made um, so it's, yeah, it's very hard to predict what, what people are going to like or not. And I've done a lot of like research on the titles, um, what to include and not to include in the titles. For example, like solo motorcycle camping are words that are searched often, but you, you can't call every single video, you know, solo motorcycle camping in Norway. Um, so th yeah, that's, it's really hard to predict. Mm. And in terms of engaging with the audience, uh, with your viewers and the, and the workload that that can represent. Um, I'm thinking, you know, specifically about reading and responding to comments. How have you found that particularly on, on the long rides? Like for ex example, this summer that's just passed, you did this massive, I think your longest ride through Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. And I imagine that you're under a certain pressure, um, from your audience to every day be keeping on top of of those comments and and responding and engaging tell me about that i mean i would find that exhausting after an exhausting day of motorcycling and setting up camp etc if, if i have to do that how do you find it getting into this in the beginning um getting comments and that kind of stuff was just super exciting and i wanted to answer everything uh, and as soon as it started to increase, uh, getting more comments, I still tried to catch up with it and answer everyone. Um, but now it's just gotten to the point, I don't have like a ton of comments, but there's several hundred under each of my videos. And I simply can't keep up with it. Um, it's, it's so, it's a lot of work keeping up with both the, the comments there, but also my Instagram, all the messages I get there in the comments. and I. You know, you feel kind of guilty sometimes because there's people leaving so many nice comments, so good feedback, so many nice messages that I, I read usually all of them, but I don't have time to reply to every single one. That would literally take days to kind of get into them and, and answer all of them. Uh, so that's uh, 
two-pointed sword, I guess. It's super nice to get them and I read all of them, but I, I, there's simply not enough time to answer all of them. So I try to prioritize. Right now I have a channel membership on my channel. So I prioritize my channel members, and answer those comments, and then I try to answer most of the questions in my videos. Like if people have questions regarding my travel or equipment or whatnot. Um, and then the feedbacks, I give them a like just to let them know I read it and, and I appreciate it. Recently, you've written a little bit about your experience doing the, the long trip and, you know, this, this long trip through Norway, Sweden and Denmark this past summer. And I, I got the feeling from a few things that you said that you're reassessing perhaps your approach to, to further motorcycle traveling in the future. And perhaps it's not something that you want to do full time which is maybe what you tried to start doing at the beginning of this year, 2023. Um, do you want to expand a little bit on that and, and maybe share with us where you're thinking and, and, and why you came to think about or, or came to that sort of conclusion or, or that feeling this, this year? So my approach this year, um, I quit my full-time job in February to do full-time content creation. Uh, and that's something I would like to keep up with. The thing that didn't work for me, you know, you see all these travelers on, on YouTube and whatever, and they travel and travel for months and years and create content along the way, just being on the, on the road full time. Um, and I tried doing that this summer. Like I, I went off saying to myself, I don't know when I'm going to be back. I'm going to be on the road uh, as long as I enjoy this. And I'm going to try doing all the work along the way as well with the editing. What my first mistake was not taking enough rest days. So I was traveling pretty much every single day, um, starting the day, you know, a full day of just recording and filming is a full day of work. It's not just pleasure. And then coming back to the camp, uh, supposed to relax, but no, you're going to work more with editing. Um, and I, I started with publishing two episodes per week this summer. So it was just like constant, constant, constant something to do and, and work. And the last like week of my trip, I was so exhausted, so exhausted that I didn't really enjoy being on the road anymore. Like I was just, I want to go home. It, it's enough. I can't do this. And it was such a, a setback because I I want to do what everyone else does. Why they can make it work? Why can I? But I think I realized um, like I need to figure out what works for me. That's the most important part. What works for everyone else doesn't necessarily work for me. Um, and if I'm going to do that again, like I need rest days to catch up with work and just chill as well. Uh, so my approach for the upcoming year. I uh, will be traveling without the editing part, just traveling, recording, coming back home, and then starting to work when I get home. Then leaving for a trip again, coming back, editing, and so on, uh, just to separate them and, and having a better time both traveling and doing the work. And, and what plans or hopes do you have now for your online presence? Uh, can you see yourself heading in a specific direction or do you feel that you have a a clear idea of 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 how you want to exist online and and 
and what you want to do or achieve? Is, has the, the last two or three years of your experience, have you got now to a point going, yeah, I know, I know what I want to do. I know what makes me happy. I know what I'm enthusiastic about. Well, yes. Um, I really, really like the work I'm doing now uh, with just creating videos and publishing them and, and interacting with people uh, online pretty much, sharing my experience and hearing their experience. Um, I think my favorite part is getting feedback from other people saying that your trip uh, inspired me to do my own trip. So that's a, a big uh, motivation for me as well. But yeah, I think the road kind of gets made as I as I go. Um, if you get more contacts, you get more opportunities, uh, like the more you do. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just see where I end up, I think. I, I always like to ask, um, does the filmmaking enhance or does it diminish the pleasure of a motorcycle ride for you? It enhances it, uh, in my opinion. In the beginning, I felt a little bit weird about filming and talking to myself, but where I'm at right now, I, I feel like I have kind of all of my followers with me and I'm talking to them and sharing the experience with them. So in a weird way, it makes the travel less lonely, sort of. Also, getting back home and editing all the footage um, and being able to relive the whole experience and realizing how many moments I've already forgotten that's a big part of it too, just kind of going through the trip twice, pretty much. That's a lovely answer. And, and just one final question. Uh, who in the, in the filmmaking space um, do you particularly admire and, and who do you take inspiration from? Who would you encourage your subscribers uh, to, to also watch? Oh, there's a lot of different ones. Um, obviously, Ichi Boots, she's a legend. Um, the way she does her, her travels are fantastic. Uh, Thomas Hansen, as you already uh, talked with, has been a, a big... Um, like whenever I've had questions about filming and video and equipment and all that stuff, I've, I've gone to him and he's, he's answered all my questions. So, uh, And he just makes great videos. Same with uh, Leonor, Eleanor Moto. I think she creates fantastic, cinematic, nice footage um, and, and filming. And yeah, there's a lot of people. That, that's, the, that's my top three, I think. Runa, thanks for being my guest on Real Riders today. Other than your YouTube channel and your Instagram account, is there anywhere else people can find you online? I do have a website, but it's currently under construction, being updated, called offshegoes.net. But other than that, it's YouTube and Instagram. Great. That's it for today. I look forward to watching more Off She Goes videos as they appear online. Thanks. Thanks very much, Runa, and cheers. Thanks for having me.